Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hi, this is Stem Cells at Lunch. Uh, this is Yava Berzhanskita from the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine here at King's College London. And I'm very excited to be chatting to Dr. Randolph Ashton today from Wisconsin Institute for Discovery. So Randolph, I was just wondering if you could perhaps in lay terms summarize what is your research all about? Yeah, so my lab, uh, we're engineers. Uh, my background is chemical engineering by training. And I have always sort of interfaced engineering with stem cell uh, culture technology. Um, and so my lab, we take uh, what's known in neurodevelopment to biology, uh, try to take those principles that are there and apply them to in vitro stem cell culture. Uh, we use biomaterials so that we can engineer the microenvironment around the cells um, and try to engineer in a way that uh, induces some type of reproducible behavior. And in particular, we're interested in uh, self-organization, uh, formation of organoids or morphogenesis um, in these in vitro models to try to recapitulate developmental processes that lead to uh, tissues of the brain and spinal cord. Okay, it sounds extremely exciting. I wonder, where do you get your ideas from? Because obviously the cells in within the body, they sit in some sort of environment. So do you try to mimic that or are you trying to think out of the box and find a kind of more optimal way than evolution has come up with? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I guess it's kind of based on your philosophy of life, right? <laughs> um, so evolution or intelligent design, whichever one you, you believe in. Um, has sort of found a way to do it. Uh, and there are billions of people on the globe. Uh, so, and most of them, their brain and spinal cord tissue looks quite similar. Uh, so my sort of philosophy is that that has been optimized to a degree. <laughs> and we're really just trying to um, understand the spatial and temporal manner to provide cues that the body normally provides so that we can properly instruct uh, a recapitulation of that process in a dish. Um, and so some, a lot of those cues, at least the identity of the cues is known um, because of you know, uh, centuries of developmental biology, um, particularly in that brain and spinal cord. But uh, it's not exactly well known how to um, uh, orchestrate the presentation of those cues to cells so that you get a reproducible uh, event to occur every time. So we don't wanna just make sort of a one-off thing or a method that requires some really uh, unique and expensive uh, platform, we want to be able to uh, harness the cell's natural ability to undergo this developmental process um, and just provide as few cues as possible so that it does it in a reproducible fashion um, that can be scaled, uh, so going from the benchtop to a manufacturing process, and can be uh, widely disseminated uh, so that anybody can use do that uh, platform uh, in their lab, particularly biologists. <laughs> now, I guess I'm just thinking about development. Often, as you say, you want to use as few cues as you can, but the the complexity that we have within you know development, I don't know if we will ever be able to recapitulate it. So I'm just wondering if like looking for something alternative would be almost easier. <laughs> Culturing uh, developmentally immature cells uh, in a aggregate. So you have 100 cells, you make them uh, join together as a, a, a spheroidal cluster, um, and then you sort of let them differentiate. 
And when you do that, they spontaneously start to try to try to undergo those developmental processes. So that tells us that a lot of this is hardwired into the genome with no instructions, right? They start to differentiate, self-organize, and can really make uh, structures uh, that um, are on the length scale of uh, 100 microns to millimeters in size, length scales that are quite hard for us to engineer, even with all the million dollar systems of bioprinting that are out there, right? Um, we still can't engineer those structures from the ground up. But if we let the cells naturally try to uh, uh, undergo that process within their genome, it's encoded how they should do that. And they try to do it to some degree. However, without um, you know the proper spatial organization that they normally have in an actual developing embryo, um, which in itself is a walled off unit, there's very little cues that come from outside the embryo to guide its 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 development. Um, they start to undergo that process. So I I I, I guess I have faith in the cells <laughs> um, that they can do a lot. And any in these organoid models, I mean, you can get very mature, well, very developmentally mature structure that can function similar to organs uh, that we find in second, third trimester uh, uh, babies, right? Um, so. Um, I think they they have a lot of capacity to do most of the work themselves, and we just simply have to find the best way to um, organize them, uh, provide you know the cues that if you're going after a particular organ, um, other organ systems as they're developing provide cues to that organ so that it it undergoes its proper development as well. So I think that's sort of where we step in to try to provide some of the cues that come from other tissues in the embryo that are not in your dish. Um, and I think we can, you know, provide a few tweaks to the, to the in vitro culture system, uh, to make it a standardized presentation of those cues. And I think that the cells will do a lot themselves. So you've been looking a lot at the developmental stages, so kind of early in the embryo. Um, have you also been uh, studying at all the spinal cord injury or the injury situation as well? Or you have... uh, a little bit, it hasn't been a focus. Um, and, uh, so the, the injury situation is, is fascinating um, because unlike some, you know, uh, uh, organisms out there uh, that can heal themselves quite well, uh, human beings cannot. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I sort of read with interest some of the papers that look at those organisms that seem to be able to regenerate tissue extremely well and people that are doing work to understand how that occurs, to try to understand how we could do that in a human Um and I also look at sort of the uh, stem cell derived cells that people are implanting and, and trying to get to help out with human function. Um, and uh, then there's a whole nother facet to that, which is the implantation or sort of um, implantation of electronic devices that can retrain the nervous system uh, to an extent. Um, I think ultimately it will be a combination of, of all three of those that will somehow lead to our ability to really rejuvenate function. Um, but the first step, um, and at least from my lay or outside observer, because I'm not extremely involved in the field yet, um, is, uh, you know, sort of connecting, reconnecting the, the wiring that goes uh, from the top of the injury site to the body of the injury site seems to be the first uh, um, task that will be achievable um, and is becoming more and more so. Uh, regenerating the tissue that has essentially been injured so badly that it degenerates, right? It 
basically everything dies <laughs> and you have a cyst that forms. That is uh, probably much harder to do. And actually, that's where I think my lab could potentially provide a unique approach um, in, in the sense that we're trying to build some of these tissues that are anatomically similar to what's developing normal that would develop normally. And so maybe we can, instead of trying to transplant cells, maybe actually come and try to transplant a, a, a tissue unit, for example, um, to replace what has been degenerated in the cyst that forms after uh, most spinal cord injuries. From kind of a bioengineer perspective, perhaps do you think, because, you know, when the stem cell uh, field started, when it boomed, we all got very excited about transplanting all the cells. But from bioengineer's perspective, do you think maybe the cell part could even be emitted at this point um, by, you know, engineering that uh, perfect uh material with perfected biological property well no <laughs> not, not exactly um i think there'll always be a place because i mean you lose these cells and there's there's no non-cellular material that we can create um that's going to replace a cell it in itself is a computational unit um that carries out computational functions in the circuit of uh decision making and and movement and regulation of movement and stuff like that, right? So um, I don't think you'll ever be able to, to completely replace uh, the cellular component. Um, what we are trying to do is actually create the tissue. And so as you said, the initial promise of regenerative medicine was we'll be able to make new body parts and, uh, <laughs> and transplant them, right? Uh, and actually, the in application, the, the most fruitful applications first were the ability to model um, human physiology in a dish. Um, and those are the ones that are having the most impact currently on uh, the medical field is our ability to recreate uh, cells or tissues in a dish and recreate the diseases or symptoms of those diseases that we uh, can recreate in a dish and then use those to try to figure out better medicines um, to alleviate those uh, symptoms. So I think that's the that's been the initial promise and application of stem cell technology. Um, that doesn't, I think, belie the fact that eventually we are getting closer to replacing various cell types initially. Um, uh, so if you have diseases that target a particular cell type, we can make those cells and try to replace them. Uh, it, it will be left to see whether that is a long-term solution or the factors that cause the death of those cells in the first place come back and kill the new cells that you put in there. Um, but for diseases that are not associated with some type of degeneration um, uh, uh, phenotype or trait, then um, maybe just replacing the cells is, is good enough. Um, so I think that's sort of the first and, and is currently the first type of clinical trials that are being tested in the field. Um, eventually, I think we'll get to the point where we'll be able to make organs. And uh, instead of just replacing a cell, we could potentially replace large pieces of an organ or the organ itself. Um, and there are different people trying that from making organs in, in farm animals to trying to make them de novo, which is what our group is trying to do, uh, make them from scratch, basically, in, in, a, in a lab. Well, it's definitely very exciting to think about the future. Um, thank you very much for chatting today. and. Uh... I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Thank you and good luck with your research. Mm -hmm.